welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. We have been away for a little while, for which we apologise. But um, we've had some issues. First of all, I was away for two weeks, which actually wasn't an issue. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. But uh, my plan to have got a whole bunch of stuff pre-recorded didn't quite come off. And uh, so I thought, well, that's not a problem. I can record stuff while I'm away and then upload it. And then it turns out couldn't because um, the bit of Scotland I was in has really terrible internet. Seriously. I mean, where we were, there was no landline, but I figured that the 4G would be good enough. And um, newsflash, it wasn't. But it was fantastically quiet and I got loads of recording done. I mean, loads. I recorded a whole thing about the Artemis project. I did a whole bunch of wonderful women of science. I did some like in-depth space stuff. Uh, I had a look at the um, the Dart mission, which just punched an asteroid. Uh, I, I loads of deep down stuff. I had over eight hours of content recorded. All I needed to do to get this week's episode done and dusted was very quickly review the two episodes of She-Hulk that happened while I was away and uh, throw in some news. That would have taken, what, 20 minutes? And you know what? did take about 25 minutes because I, I did it. Last Monday, I did it. The day I got back from Scotland, that was done. And then I came this morning. And it's my fault for leaving it till Thursday morning. I know. But I came to this morning. I opened up my laptop to discover it had shut itself down overnight and installed some updates. And the audio... Eight hours, more than eight hours of audio is gone. I cannot find it. I presume it's still in the guts of this wretched machine somewhere, but I have no idea where. So, add to that the fact that today is a very busy day. I have to do loads of stuff and I'm on deadlines and you know, people who are actually paying me money for stuff. So I have to do it. This is going to be a bit of a rushed episode, is what I'm saying. Uh, the sound quality is not going to be as good as I would like, because I may not have time. Well, I will not be doing this in a studio setting, that's for sure. So forgive me for all of my many, many, many shortcomings. I, I, <clears throat> this one really is, really is beyond my control. But I didn't want to do yet another blinking rerun. So I hope you can bear with me. Uh, we do have some interesting stuff to talk about. And the first interesting thing we're going to talk about is She-Hulk. Now, this is an episode now from three weeks ago, which would have been in the episode that would have dropped two weeks ago if I'd been able to get it uploaded. Uh, this is the only bit of audio that, I, that I've recorded since, well, middle of September, really, that I haven't lost. So I hope you enjoy my review of She-Hulk, the episode entitled Just Jen, the one with the wedding. So, She-Hulk, episode six, Just Jen. Except not just Jen, because Jen has been invited to a wedding more than that. Jen has been invited to be a bridesmaid at a wedding. Now, 
If you are, like me, are married, you know that the best thing, the absolute best thing about being married is not having to think about a wedding anymore. Weddings are often, shall we say, tricky to negotiate. And when you are a massive green superhero, trickier still. As Jen herself tells us as she turns to the camera and breaks the fourth wall, if you think this is an inconvenient time to have a wedding, well, yes it is, but that's how weddings are. And yes, yes they are. And this wedding is nightmarish in many ways. First of all, it's one of those weddings. Somebody from back home that you were besties with in high school that you haven't really spoken to for a while, but now they're getting married and they kind of feel obligated to ask you to be a bridesmaid and you feel obligated to go. And it's, yeah, nobody's really quite sure who wants who where. And yeah, it, it, it's tricky. And Jen, let's be honest, is not the best at negotiating socially awkward situations. But she has the dress now. And so off she goes as She-Hulk looking Fabulous. She arrives at the venue and she sashays down the drive and everyone turns to look at her and everyone's impressed. Except the bride. Because this is her big day. And having a massive green bridesmaid is kind of taking the attention away from her. Now, personally, I think this is reasonable. Wearing white at a wedding is a massive faux pas. Turning up as a six foot seven green superhero, probably a faux pas of significantly larger proportions. So she de-hulks herself and is now just Jen in a dress that's too big for her. And she's starting to settle in, she's starting to get into the groove when Titania turns up. Because of course she does, because Titania is a woman who is not one to forgive easily. She's there legitimately as the plus one, of one of the wedding guests. Uh, it is implied very strongly that she is not actually dating this guy because she's interested in this guy. She's dating this guy because it will get her to this wedding and thus annoy Jen. I'm not sure I'm a massive fan of how they imply this. They imply this by having her point out her date, who is a scrawny little geeky guy. And on behalf of scrawny little geeky guys everywhere, I would like to point out that we are not the acme for unattractiveness that everybody seems to think. At least, that's what I tell myself. But it's a shorthand, and I guess I'll allow it. And, you know, the wedding goes off, and everything's fine, and then Titania pushes Jen a little bit too far, she hawks out, and wipes the floor with her, basically. And Jen is a little bit concerned that the, the bride will be upset by this, but by this time, the bride is quite drunk, and is just delighted to have She-Hulk at her wedding. So, all's well that ends well. Meanwhile, something that I'll talk about later is happening in LA. While Jen is away, Mallory and Nikki are covering her caseload, and that she has an interesting superhuman client, who I'll get to. But the first thing I want to do is address the ele elephant in the room. Because, of course there is one! It's She-Hulk! As noted in last week's review, at the end of last week's episode... We are teased the appearance of Daredevil. We see a yellow cowl that is clearly Daredevil's yellow cowl from the days when Daredevil wore yellow. 
which he did in the comics for quite a while. And the internet lit up with people going, Daredevil's going to be in it next week. Daredevil, Daredevil's going to be in it next week. Yes, we're going to see Daredevil next week. Definitely happening. And then we didn't see Daredevil this week because Jen went to a wedding. And I've actually seen not just online comment, not just expressions of of disappointment that we didn't see Daredevil, but expressions of rage by people who reckon they feel misled and who feel that they've been robbed of a Daredevil appearance. And to these people, all I can say is, you did check the title of the show, yeah? Because it isn't called Daredevil. Yes, we saw Daredevil's yellow cow. Yeah, I assumed also that we'd get a cameo from Matt Murdock at least this week. But you know what? It doesn't matter that we didn't. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a teaser for the forthcoming Daredevil series that's coming in a year or two. Not everything has to be about what's happening next. And honestly, if you don't like the show about the superhuman lawyer, don't watch the show about the superhuman lawyer. And if you do watch the show about the superhuman lawyer, don't complain that there's too much of the superhuman lawyer in the show that's about the superhuman lawyer. End of rant. But it is beginning to irritate me now. It is very, very clear that there is a sizable minority of the people that Mark Maron refers to as the uneffable rage nerds. Um, he doesn't say effable. He uses a different word that I can't use on the radio. There's a sizable group of these people who are just watching this show to look for things to complain about. And OK, I guess. But surely you've got better things to do with your time than watch a show you don't like and then complain about it online. It, it, it doesn't. Yeah, you, know, you can make your point. You can say, I watched G-Hulk and I didn't like it because of these reasons. And I shall not watch it again. And that's fine. That's fine. That's that's just you saying, yeah, it's not for me. Didn't like it. This is why. And I don't even have to agree with or like your reasons for not liking it. It's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But it just gets boring when people bang on about it all the time with such negativity. As my grandma used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. And that's just good advice. She was a wise woman, my grandma. So, yeah, there's that. Maybe we'll get some Daredevil. Maybe we won't. Whatever. Because even if Daredevil had been in it, that wouldn't have been the big news from this edition of the show. Jen's wedding adventures aren't the big news from this edition of the show either. No. Oh, no. The big news about this edition of the show seems to be something that an awful lot of people haven't picked up on. We got another mutant in the MCU. They're building slowly with this. We started with the suggestion that Kamala Khan is a mutant. Now, Jen has somebody who is clearly a mutant for a client. They don't use the word, but it's Mr. Immortal, the man who cannot die. Also the man who is so afraid of commitment and conflict that the way he gets out of marriages is just to walk into traffic. 
and then he dies, which technically means the marriage is over because he's dead. And then he comes back to life again and starts a new life. It has caught up with him. And now his widows and widower are coming at him. And it is a very awkward situation, which Mallory and Nikki, in Jen's absence, have to sort out. Except Mallory doesn't, because Nikki does her thing. And Nikki... Nikki is the perfect PA. Now, I'm married to a really good PA, okay? And honestly, I think the role of the PA is seriously underrated. It's not a geeky point, but it is a point. Here, Nikki shows her PA skills. She is a keen negotiator. She is a thinks-outside-the-box problem solver. And she is the ultimate organiser. She sees the problem, she figures out the solution, she sells that solution to everybody involved, everybody's happy. As Mallory says at the end of the negotiations, when every single one of Mr. Immortal's ex-partners leaves happy and satisfied, as Mallory says, that was unconventional, but brilliant. And I love to see it. And I really, really am actually enjoying the character of Nikki. I think she is amazing. So, that's it. Any good? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Jamila Jamil continues to delight as the outrageously over-the-top Titania. It really does take immense skill to portray somebody who is that shallow and that annoying and not make them an, a, a complete switch-off, which... She, Titania is oddly compelling. She lacks the charm of Madison. Of course she does. Everybody lacks the charm of Madison. And I'm really hoping that we see her again. But she's still a compelling character. And she represents, I think, all of those mean girls that Jen ever had to deal with in high school and through her career. You know what? Speaking as somebody who was a teenage geek in the 80s, I remember the mean girls. They were mean. And Titania is a fantastic caricature of that kind of personality. It's brilliantly, brilliantly done. So loving that. The comedy beats still hit. And Tatiana Maslany still makes a fantastic job of really humanising Jen. Okay, Jen is all of those insecurities that She-Hulk doesn't have to worry about. But Jen still does. And the vulnerability when she is talking to other characters, particularly when there's a, a really sweet scene in this episode where a guy at the wedding kind of like starts to chat her up and they start to develop a real rapport in the way that you can do at these events. This may not go anywhere, but it's, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really nicely performed, which, you know, when you have an actor of the, the calibre of Tatiana Maslan, you expect that, but it's still nice to see. Do I have complaints? Yes. Yes, I do. The CGI is still really just sitting in the uncanny valley there. It's not quite bad enough to dismiss as, yeah, it's just, it's just cheap, cheap CGI. It's not bad enough to dismiss like that, but it's not good enough to feel real. And She-Hulk still doesn't quite feel right. There's something just a little bit Shrek-like about that animation. And do you know what? Shrek was cutting edge in its day, but its day was 20 years ago. And we've been very spoiled for CGI in the MCU. And it's just not... It, it's not a deal killer, 
But if the show has a weak spot, that's what it is. And while we're on the subject of things that I might have a little gripe about, second week running, no end credit sequence. What's that about? We like these little end credit sequences. They're a good reason to sit and watch all the, the art that we get over the end credits. But we haven't had one since we saw Wong and Madison, like, chilling watching Sopranos on one couch. So if you're listening, Disney+, Plus, sort it. We will leave that there. Uh, I am still enjoying the heck out of this show. It is absolutely fabulous. It's still not my favourite Marvel show, but as I keep telling you, that's a really high bar. That's like saying it's not my favourite chocolate bar, okay? I still like it. It's still great. Still loving it. But it's a Snickers, and I prefer a topic. Doesn't mean Snickers aren't great. I love a Snickers too. I just prefer a topic. So if you haven't watched it, give it a go. It may not be for you, and that's fine, but give it a shot. It's funny, it's fun, it's short. You're not committing your weekend to an episode. It's it's bubblegum and it's great. It's all the better for it. The MCU has needed something like this. And She-Hulk is delivering in spades. That was episode six. So shall we move on to episode seven? Because it was a bit of a sort of a quiet little interlude in the run up to episode eight. Uh, which, you know, it is traditional, after all, for episode 8 to come after episode 7. But uh, we're going to get to episode 8, because, um, oh boy. But we'll do episode 7 first. It was a cute little episode, really. What do we get? We get to see Jen back from the wedding, back out dating. Uh, and we see, you know, dates that go well, dates that go not well. In particular, there's one guy who um, she goes on a date and we see this sort of saying goodnight at the door and then the next date there's a bit more hesitancy and then eventually, you know, he goes in and um, stuff happens. And Jen wakes up and in the morning he's gone. So she texts him and then goes to work and she talks to Nikki about it and Nikki's like, oh man, don't be looking too keen, you know, play it cool. Play it cool, girl. So that's easier said than done. And she needs a distraction. And one comes, fortunately, in um, the form of Emile, the Abomination Blonsky's parole officer. The long, long suffering Chuck Donnellan. Now, he's under-resourced. And frankly, he's terrified of the Abomination. And, and who wouldn't be? So... When Emil Blonsky's uh, inhibitor is shown by the monitoring software to have been turned off, which means Chuck has to go down there and check it out, he calls Blonsky's lawyer. Who is She-Hulk? Because backup is always appreciated. And since Jen has not much better to do than sit around waiting for a text, she goes with him. Uh, the car trip, great scene. Really enjoyed it. Uh, there's a fantastic Hanson thing going on. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And fortunately, it's a false alarm. 
Blonsky has a chicken-related excuse for the malfunction of the device, uh, and it's all sorted out, and uh, Donovan goes home. Jen would have gone straight home too, but unfortunately, uh, her car, her Prius Prime, it's a Prime, don't forget that, her car is smashed up in a battle between the half-human, half-bull, man-bull, and a matador. Sorry, swashbuckler. The swashbuckler, the matador is not a matador. He's swashbuckler. He is El Aguila. Sorry for the Spanish pronunciation. Also known as Alejandro Montoya. Uh, he's a mutant. Note that. In the comics, at least, uh, Alejandro Montoya is a, a mutant. Uh, a swordsman vigilante who can generate sort of bioelectric shock blasts. Now, this is a deep cut. He was introduced um, into the comics in 1979, so he's been around in the Marvel Universe a long time. Uh, not particularly well known, very much a, 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 a D-lister, probably. Uh, usually hanging out in the sort of Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Power Man, uh, Hero for Hire style comics. Very much a street-level guy. Um, the actor who plays um, El Aguila, uh, Joseph Castillo uh, Midget, uh, did actually turn up in uh, an episode of Jessica Jones. And in the original recording of this, I told you which episode and who he played. I can't remember and I haven't got time to check. So Google or the IMDb is your friend in this regard, should you care. Um, Mandel, on the other hand, even older as a character, uh, he was introduced as a sort of daredevil villain in 1971. Uh, and again, in the original recording of this, I told you which which issues of the comics this was and who wrote them. And I've lost my notes and I don't have time to look it up again. So again, Google your friend. But what it means is Jen's stuck now at Emil Blonsky's retreat. Now, we knew that this is what Blonsky was going to do. We kind of figured it was a scam, but actually it seems to be weirdly legit. Blonsky invites Jen to, you know, while she's waiting for the tow truck and stuff, to check the place out, maybe, you know, deal with some anger issues. But she declines. She's got work to do. So she's got a laptop. All she needs is the internet and she can crack on. But there's no Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi at all. Blonsky doesn't believe in it. He wants no distractions from his treatments and, and therapy groups. Um... So Jen is forced to essentially search the entire site for whatever signal she can pick up. And she discovers that the only place she can get even a scrap of a signal is in the same place as a group therapy session. So she finds herself trying not to get involved in a therapy session with a character called Saracen, uh, who I don't think it's clear whether he's actually a vampire in this version of him or whether he just believes himself to be a vampire. In the comics, he's a blade villain and an actual ancient blood-sucking vampire dude. There's also Porcupine, who refuses to take off his suit. Uh, now, this is, a se this is serious, serious geekery. Uh, somebody has read the history of the Marvel Universe before making this show because Porcupine also known as uh, Alexander Gentry, was a, rep a weapons designer, and I do know this, I've got this bit of notes, uh, created by Stanley, Ernest Hart and Don Heck back in 1963. 
So, you know, been around a long time, very minor character, hardly ever used. Um, what I can't remember is which comic he first appeared in. So, you know, again, Google, your friend. And then the joke, the joke, the group is joined, I think is what I'm trying to say, um, by the guy who tried to steal Jen's blood in episode three. You can imagine, Jen is not pleased to see him. She hooks out and goes at him. And then, you know, she's kind of calmed down and he tells her this guy, you know, he's he's changed his life. He decided to work on himself and improve and quit the criminal life. He's put away his magic crowbar. And Jen gets drawn into this circle of, you know, people accepting responsibility and being accountable for themselves. Um, and, you know, Blonsky and the rest of the group, they can, they kind of get Jen talking and exploring her feelings. And, you know, she's talking about how, you know, she's, she's really Jen and using She-Hulk uh, to advance herself feels like cheating. You know, people love She-Hulk and she's taking advantage of that. Uh, and the group get her to uh, a good emotional place. And um, she even agrees to go into the ceremonial sweat yurt uh, because she's hurting for a yurtin, which is one of my favourite lines from the entire show. This is not your average superhero show in any way at all. Still, this is really proving that. And, you know, very comics accurate. This is what She-Hulk is like in the comics. Yeah, she, She-Hulk is not your regular superhero book. It's always leaned into the lawyery stuff. It's always leaned into Jen's personal life in, in the way that Marvel does so well actually across the board. So, you know, that's all great. Um, no end credit sequence, but we do get a flashback right at the end. Before the credits roll, we flash back to three days earlier. Before Jen woke up at the beginning of this episode. Josh, the dreamy date. Gets up out of bed. Jen is still in bed, fast asleep. As Jen, not as She-Hulk, but as Jen. And Josh takes some Hulk blood, smiles to himself and sends a text saying, I got it, to somebody called Hulk King. Not a villain we've seen, I don't think. Uh, and this is setting something up, surely. The the big bad here, the villain here, is clearly a lot bigger and more sinister than we thought. The plan here is clearly a lot bigger and more sinister. This is maybe somebody who wants to create Hulks. That's bad. That's very bad. And whoever it is has got some of Jennifer's blood, and she does not know. So, hmm. Very, very bad ending. Also, quick Easter egg shout out, and I only know about this because I followed Dan Slot on Twitter, and he was thrilled about this. Uh, Dan Slot, if you don't know who he is, is a comics writer. He's written more episodes, more episodes, more issues of Spider-Man than I think anybody alive. Um, he's also written a hell of a lot of She-Hulk. And Marvel does this thing where they, they don't pay people for the use of stuff they created for Marvel. And that's all very contractually sound and morally 
we'll go with morally ambiguous, shall we? But what they do do is they give people like little cute shout outs and Easter eggs and stuff. Um, Dan Slott already has a few. Um, Donald Glover's character uh, in the Spider-Man movies uh, lives on a street named after Dan Slott. Uh, there is in the Spider-Man movies uh, in Venice uh, a street named after an Italian version of Dan Slott. Uh, in one of the movies, and I forget which one it is, um, somebody goes through a JFK airport and there's a driver holding up a sign for Dan Slot. And in this episode of She-Hulk, the towing truck that comes for Jen's smashed up Prius, sorry, Prius Prime, uh, is from Slot Towing and the name badge on the mechanics overalls says he's called Dan. So another shout out to Dan Slot. That's always fun. Uh, we also got to find out um, that Jen has been nominated for Female Lawyer of the Year, uh, which uh, I already know this, and I'm sure you do too, is a thing next episode. And so we'll move along to the penultimate episode of She-Hulk. Episode 8. In episode 8, we finally get the guest appearance that everybody seems to have been wanting since the very first episode. Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock turns up. I am trying really hard not to do jokes around the fact that Daredevil has horns and She-Hulk smashes. Because, well, if you know, you know. And if you don't know, it's a family show. So uh, things will be alluded to later on. But why? Why is Matt Murdock in L.A.? He's a New York guy. What's going on? Well, actually, perfectly straightforward. The guy who makes the super suits is being sued. Luke Jacobson, the one tailor who can make outfits suitable for She-Hulk, is being sued by a, a kind of hapless wannabe superhero dude who turns out to be a very obnoxious rich kid. Uh, just off the top of my head, I've forgotten his name. Uh, he has a he has a frog suit, uh, which is why the episode is actually called Ribbit and Rip It, um, and not She-Hulk Smash, which is what it should have been called. But we'll come back to that. Um, but he's suing Luke Jacobson because he says he sustained injuries because the suit malfunctioned. Luke Jacobson says a couple of things. He says, first of all, nah, my work is exquisite. It will not have malfunctioned if you used it properly. And also, She-Hulk, what are you doing representing somebody who is suing me? You're never getting another suit, ever. Also, here's another lawyer I know. Enter Matt Murdock. Which is to be expected. We had seen that Jacobson was making a thing for Daredevil because that was, you know, the sort of a little teaser. We saw the cow um, a couple of episodes ago when Jen went to the thing to get the suit thing. Gosh, that was coherent, Reg. Well done. So there's a little bit of sparring in court. And then afterwards, Jen and Matt meet in a bar because, of course, they do. Just, you know, an accidental casual meeting. Uh Daredevil, sorry, Matt, uh, buys Jen a drink. She, he actually sends it, you know, he's like, 
the bartender arrives with an apple teeny and says, oh, this is from the guy at the end of the bar and points at Matt Murdock. And, you know, Jen appreciates the joke. So they get chatting and then they go their separate ways and there's some superhero action. Uh, we get to see Daredevil apparently in pursuit of Jen's client. And of course, Jen at this point does not know that Daredevil is Matt Murdock. So she busts out her new super suit. First time we've seen it on screen. Looks cool. Very comics accurate. Like it. And in the sort of classic two superheroes meeting trope, uh, they meet each other. They don't know who each other are. Well, Daredevil knows who Jen is, obviously, because everybody knows who She-Hulk is. But She-Hulk doesn't know who Daredevil is. She assumes he's the bad guy bad guy because he's dressed as a devil, which actually fair point. Can't really argue with that. And so, you know, they go at it for a bit and then they realise they're both on the same side. Uh, and the reason Daredevil is in pursuit of Jen's client is because he has ki kidnapped Luke Jacobson and is forcing him to make a new suit. It has previously been demonstrated that actually um, the frog dude did actually misused the suit he used the wrong fuel and and you know mucked about with it because he thought he could and he couldn't so now he's forcing jacobson to make a new suit brief discussion about how they're going to rescue him uh there's a, a philosophical discussion about the difference between a goon and a henchman uh their idea is that a henchman is a true believer somebody who believes in what the bad guy's doing whereas a goon is someone who's just like hired muscle so they have that little conversation uh matt is all about you know doing the ninja thing quiet infiltration jen thinks it's better just to smash through the wall um daredevil goes first and is doing the whole ninja thing when suddenly he's confronted by way more people than he can handle at which point she hulk smashes through the wall uh the rescue jacobson all is forgiven all cool all cute all fab then you know they go back to jen's place and have a bit of a discussion which leads to a bit more than a discussion. And how do we put this politely? Daredevil stays the night. Let's let's put it like that. And we next see him in the morning, walking down the street, doing what the internet continuously calls the walk of shame. And I know that's the that's the term that a lot of people use. Uh, in Matt's case, very much more the stride of pride, I would have said. Now, this has upset a few people. We, we, we're going to... We haven't finished the episode yet, but I just want to address this. Daredevil sleeping with She-Hulk has upset a few people on the internet. I don't understand why. She-Hulk has always been a very sex-positive character, a very sexual character. This scene in no way sexualizes the character at all. There's nothing graphic in it. Um, they're both grown adults. Grown adults do that kind of thing. It's done in exactly the same way as that kind of thing is done in every show there's ever been. I genuinely don't understand the objection from a narrative point of view or a character point of view. Jen is a an independent, free, single woman. And in the comics, she has had boyfriends and, and one night stands and that kind of thing. It's all comics accurate. As for Daredevil, uh, apparently the hashtag NotMyDaredevil was doing the rounds when I was away uh, as a result of this episode. And I'm left scratching my head thinking, which Daredevil have you guys been paying attention to? Because I don't care. whether you, I, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, well, tell me you haven't read a comic without telling me you haven't ever read a comic. 
Because if the only version of Daredevil you know is Charlie Cox from the Netflix show, did you watch it? For goodness sake, Matt Murdock is a hound in the, the comics and in the TV adaptations. Matt Murdock puts it about a bit. He really, really does. And by all accounts, he's very good at it. That is explicitly referred to in the comics. Now, we in the original recording of this, I went into quite a long explanation as to why this would be. You know, his extrasensory thing, he's got very sensitive hands, very sensitive to touch and feel, and, you know, he can hear heartbeats and, you know, smell pheromones and all of that stuff. I, I'm not going to go that deeply into it this time, because, frankly, it would be cringy and weird. Um, so I won't, but we do have the tacit agreement from Jen herself, because... Not quite the end of the episode, but after after seeing Matt doing the stride of pride down the street, uh, he walks past Nikki, who's heading for Jen's house. And we see Jen sit up in bed and she looks at the camera, as she often does, and talks to us. And she says, I don't know why we're doing this scene. Because this episode has already come to a very satisfying conclusion. Sorry, the, the slightly creepy tone of voice is entirely me. Nothing to do with Jen whatsoever. So, you know, as much information as we need, I think. And uh, Nikki comes in. We need to get ready for your big night kind of thing. And then we're at the lawyer's awards ceremony thingamajig. And Jen thought she was getting the award to herself, but she is not. The award is shared between loads of women because, of course, there can't just be one. Best female lawyer. There can only be, you know, that's. There's a little wink at the sort of misogynistic attitudes of um, the people who hold power in the legal system. Uh, there is a reference to Ginger Rogers, uh, the, the, the the slightly creepy compare of the award ceremony, says that, you know, the female lawyers are great because they have to do everything the male lawyers do, but backwards and in heels, uh, which is something that um, Ginger Rogers. Said, I think, I think it's quite attributed to Ginger Rogers. Uh, it might have been somebody talking about Ginger Rogers, who, of course, was Fred Astaire's dance partner in many, many films. Uh, if you have not seen them, go watch them. Do you know what? If you like Strictly, you will love the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies because they're they're just dance spectacles. They're great. Um, personally, I prefer Gene Kelly to Fred Astaire as a dancer, uh, but you know, whatever. Uh, just go watch them. They're great. Anyway, they get that reference. But then there's something that I, again, it's been controversial. And I'm, I see why, but I'm glad it's being addressed because it is a real issue that really does need to be addressed. And it's nice to see it happening. She-Hulk is the kind of character it would happen to. It's been described on the internet as revenge porn in She-Hulk. It's not quite that because it is, you know, made by Disney. But what happens is the audiovisual system at the award ceremony gets hacked by somebody and they launch into a rant about how Jennifer is not worthy of any award. She stole her powers from the Hulk and you know that the imagery behind her, some of it was clearly taken by the date Josh while she was asleep in bed. And you know, it, there are implications there that are not particularly savory. And I think that's the point actually. Uh, so Jen responds in the way that, I think any woman, any person would. She gets angry. What happens when a Hulk gets angry? She hulks out and she smashes the place up. And suddenly she's surrounded 
by damage control agents armed with those weird gun rifle thingamajigs they've got. And we end the episode. Now, is that a setup? Because those damage control agents got there awfully quickly. Is that just, you know, for narrative convenience or has Jen been set up here? I mean, she's clearly been targeted. So what's going on? We won't find out until, well, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, you could find out right now because She-Hulk, the final episode, has dropped on Disney+. Plus. I haven't seen it yet. Did I mention the kind of day I'm having? I really haven't had time. But, you know, you can find out. Or you can just tune in next week when hopefully in a much, much calmer and more organised episode, I will tell you all about it. But for now, we'll leave it there just just to say I'm liking the slightly serious turn this narrative has taken. I was enjoying all the yucks, but just occasionally you do need a bit of fibre in your diet. And I'm liking that we're getting that at the end. I'm also really still enjoying the humour. The, 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 the badinage between Jen and Matt was just sublime. The constant cheeriness of Nikki. Again, just just a real tonic. Although um, I do note a popular fan theory um, about Nikki. Uh, if you look at her earrings, they're very much like Agatha Harkness's brooch. And a few people have kind of said, is this, you know, she involved here in some way? You know, something going on? I don't think so, but uh, what do I know? I don't, I'm not a writer on the show. So maybe, maybe something's going on there. We will find out. Uh, all we've got to do is watch the next episode of She-Hulk, which I'll go and do in a bit. But for now, we'll just wrap that segment. Okay, I'm not going to go into, into any kind of depth into any of the geeky news stuff that's happened in the last couple of weeks while I've been away because I am literally doing this off the top of my head. So just a few comments. First of all, Hugh Jackman is about to reprise his role as Wolverine Logan in Deadpool 3, which I'm interested in, actually. Um, Do I want to see another Wolverine movie? No, not really. Not for a bit. Do I need Hugh Jackman to keep being Wolverine? No, not really. Do I need Deadpool 3? No, don't need that either. But actually, it's going to be fun, isn't it? And I've again noted with interest, I think is how I put it, some blowback on Twitter kind of said, oh, well, Deadpool 3 is going to completely invalidate the movie Logan. Why? It could just as easily be set before Logan as after. So if it's set before Logan, it doesn't affect Logan in any way at all. And also, it's a Deadpool movie. For goodness sake, you you can do anything with a Deadpool movie and it doesn't have to affect anything else. I mean, apart from, yes, we're getting Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in the MCU. Does that mean they can't recast Wolverine when they finally get around to doing the X-Men movie? No, no, it doesn't. For a start, we've already established the multiverse. So who's to say it's this universe's Deadpool and this universe's Wolverine, or maybe it is this universe. I don't know how they're going to address that. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's a Deadpool movie. They'll they'll laugh it off in a one-liner. I fully expect Deadpool to make an actual comment about it. It's like, hey, there aren't supposed to be any X-Men here yet, kind of thing. Yeah, 
he's certainly going to have to address the fact that he's now in a different universe, and he will because he's Deadpool, and you can do that. He breaks the fourth wall, and and you know gets all meta even more than She-Hulk does. So it's not a thing, guys. Really, really, it isn't. So you know that's not a thing we need to worry about. The other thing we don't need to worry about is whether the guy that made Logan cares or not, because I can assure you that he doesn't. I, I, I saw a snippet of an interview somewhere where somebody asked him about it. You know, was he mad that, you know, they were like potentially undermining the conclusion of, of the movie he made? And he's like, no, no, of course I'm not. It's a movie. I'm, I'm making another movie now. That's my focus. I don't care. And that's that's so healthy. And I wish so many people in in sort of genre fiction thought that way. Nobody in any other genre cares about continuity at all. At all. You know, I mean, in, in say, Cheers, I, I, and I know I'm dating myself now, but in Cheers, Dr. Fraser Crane, as played by Kelsey Grammer, says that his dad was a psychiatrist, and I think it's acknowledged that he's an only child. And then Cheers finishes, and Dr. Fraser Crane moves on to the spin-off show, Frasier, which I think actually had more episodes in the end than Cheers did. And in that show, his dad's a police officer from Seattle, and he has a brother called Niles. And nobody battered an eyelid because nobody cares. We should be more like that in the sort of superhero science fiction genre. Because if you worry too much about continuity, all you're going to do is give yourself high blood pressure. Treat every story as a story. It's fun to look back and refer to things that have happened in the past. It is. I enjoy doing that as much as the next person. But if somebody makes a story that doesn't fit, then fine. It's just a story. And I don't understand why people have a problem with that concept. So does it matter that Hugh Jackman is in Deadpool 3? No. Will it be fun? Yes. I mean, Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds are clearly very good friends. And the chemistry between them is is going to be fun. It's going to be like watching two good friends take the mickey out of each other. Uh, they're both excellent at the whole comedic timing thing. You know, people forget Hugh Jackman now we think of as Wolverine and he's all serious. But Hugh Jackman's a song and dance man, as evidenced by The Greatest Showman. He's got great comedic timing. So will he be good as a foil to Deadpool? Heck yes! So bring it on, I say. Bring it on. Uh, there's, there's probably been other news as well, hasn't there? I bet there has. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I've got to be honest. So we'll we'll sort of wrap up the news section there, except we're sort of keeping it going because we are going to move on to the Thought Bubble Festival, which is very soon. Very, very, very soon indeed. So if you're in Harrogate, it's going to be on your doorstep. If you've got even the slightest interest in anything geeky and you're listening to this, so I presume you do, even if you don't think of yourself as a comics person, check it out. It's held in our beloved convention centre. Go on, you love it. You know you do. Uh, it's the 12th and 13th of November. That's a Saturday and Sunday uh, this year. And I, know I say this every year, but I say it every year because I mean it. It is the best comic convention you will ever go to. Bar none, no arguments. It just is. The Lakes comes close, but it's not as big, and it doesn't have the, the same level of guest. But 
there's something about Thought Bubble that is just utterly brilliant. You get so many people all in the same place, everybody being creative and above all else, lovely. It's such a positive weekend. Uh, and it's it's just comics. If your idea of a comic convention is um, a bunch of stormtroopers and, you know, stars from the movies and, and that kind of thing, you know, like the Knight Rider car in one corner and Optimus, the Optimus Prime truck in the car park, that's not Thought Bubble. OK, if you go in expecting that, you will be disappointed because that will not be there. There will be loads of cosplay and, and brilliant cosplay. So if you're, you know, if you like to see people in costume, they're going to be there and they're going to look amazing. If you like to, if you're a cosplayer, if you want to come to Thought Bubble and do cosplay, you you can do that. That is absolutely there. But what Thought Bubble mostly is, is comics. It's a proper comics convention. Pretty much everybody there will be somebody who writes comics, who draws comics, who writes and draws comics. Or who is an artist or a writer in some other way related. There will be people like me, retailers. There's at least one retailer there because I'm there. Um, so, you know, you can pick up back issues. But actually what Thought Bubble really is, at its heart, is the chance to buy new comics from the people who made them and to get comics signed by the people who made them. And the guest list this year of comics creators is utterly, utterly stellar. I, I mean, there are so, so, so many I mean, for me, the headliner has to be Gail Simone. Uh, I know she's not everybody's thing, but you know, I'm such a Batgirl fan. Uh, I love Batgirl, and Gail Simone is my favourite Batgirl writer. I think. Um, if you're not a comics guy, a, a comics person, you're not going to know some of these names. Just trust me; they're all geniuses, and you would love to see their stuff. Charlie Adlard, who drew not every issue of The Walking Dead, but every issue from about issue twelve, uh, he's there. Uh, David Ager is there. He's the guy who you'll recognise his work because the credit, the opening credit art for um, Hawkeye totally ripped off his designs for Hawkeye. Uh, Raphael Albuquerque is going to be there. Um, Philip Bond, great British um, northern comics creator. His wife, Shelley Bond, one of the best editors American comics has ever had. She's there and she will look at your stuff. You have to book and stuff, but that, I mean, what what an opportunity. If you, you have any inkling that you want to make comics, being able to meet Shelley Bond is just, oh, what an opportunity. Um, Fraser Campbell, friend of the podcast, he's been on this. Um, he's going to be there again. One, a, a great creator from Glasgow. Um, Glenn Dillon, brother of the great Steve Dillon. Uh, will be there representing his brother's work and exhibition. Uh, Gary Erskine, um, Al Ewing, who had such a fantastic run on The Immortal Hulk. Um, you've got Kieran Gillen, who, yeah, The Wicked and Divine, and so much other amazing stuff. Uh, Jock, one of the best Batman artists ever to have walked the planet, will be there. I, I, just so, so many. And of course, Tula Lote. One of my very favourite artists and former director of Thought Bubble will also be there. Um, you've got Jacob Phillips uh, and Sean Phillips, a father and son combo. Um, they're both going to be there. Friends of the shop, friends of the show. Um, 
Alison Sampson, who's also been on this show, uh, is going to be there. And, and so on and so on. There are so many. I, I'm still scrolling down the guest list. Uh, Christian Ward, a fantastic artist. Madeleine Visaggio, one of my, she wrote one of my very favourite Dazzler stories ever. G. Willow Wilson, the co-creator of Ms. Marvel, is going to be there. Come on. It's just going to be brilliant. Ram V, who wrote uh, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, probably the best comic of 2021. He is going to be there. It's just going to be so good. Tickets are available now. Go to thoughtbubblefestival.com to make your purchases. Uh, it's cheaper if you buy, you know, it's cheaper per day if you buy the weekend pass. Um, there's a bit of a discount if you're going to go in cosplay. But you don't want to miss it, seriously. If you're coming in from the wider world, it's not up yet, but there will be a bit of a guide to places to eat and drink uh, in Harrogate on the Destination Venus website. Soon, soon, next week, I promise it'll be there. Uh, just just come, just come. Uh, I was talking in the shop uh, yesterday as I record this, Wednesday the 12th, um, to a guy from Liverpool who... It was just he was in town on business and he wandered into the shop because he knew it was there and, and you know, bought some comics. And we had a very long chat. And yeah, he was saying, you know, he'd often thought of coming to Thor Bubble, but you know, he's 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 other side of the Pennines and it's it's a bit of a trek and he's not wouldn't be sure it would be worth it. And I spent quite a long time um effusing about Thor Bubble and I think I've convinced him to come. I hope to see him there. I hope to see you there too because I. Just love Thought Bubble, and I want you to have the experience. I, I, I'm, I'm not employed by Thought Bubble. This is not a paid advertisement. I don't do those on this show. Uh, it's just genuinely, it's the best weekend of my of my year every single year, and has been for many years now. And I just love it to death, and I want you to go. So there's that. This is getting a bit geek community notice boardy, so I will point out that the uh, Geek Pub Quiz will be happening at Major Tom's this Sunday, uh, 7.30 uh, for the start. You don't really want to be late. You want to get in there and, and you know get your team sheets and all of that. Uh, great prizes, as ever. Uh, some of them provided by me. It's a great night out. It really is a fantastic night out. I'm going to have to miss it again because my light... I, I have no social life. I am one of the most stereotypically geeky people there is in that you know, I, I simply do not socialise. I rarely leave my house. And yet somehow, every time there's a geek pub quiz, whether it's at Major Tom's and it's like the original geek pub quiz or it's at the Everyman, where my shop is, and it's the geek movie quiz, every single time I'm somewhere else doing something I either can't get out of or, you know, frankly, don't want to get out of. I mean... The last movie quiz, I was in Scotland. I genuinely, much as I love the movie quiz, would rather have been on holiday. So you know, I'm not I'm not moaning about the fact I always miss it. It's just frustrating because Helen and Steve and Chris are just the best hosts. Uh, they do such a good job of hosting the, the evening. And it, I, I, I appreciate the time missing out. I think that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, there's that. OK. Um, very quickly, before we go, um, I'm going to have to re-record the whole Artemis project thing. Uh, you may get that next week. I may have had time to do it by then. 
I'm also going to do uh, an extended segment at some point in the very near future on the absolutely brilliant Dart project. Uh, I'm a little bit annoyed that they nicked the name of my old rocket organisation. When I was a teacher at a school in Doncaster called Danum, um, I ran a rocket club and it was called the Danum Aeronautics and Rocketry Team, or DART. I thought that was a cool acronym. And uh, NASA shamelessly spoiled, s- s- stolen it from me. Shamelessly stolen. But never mind. I didn't have the technology to punch an asteroid and they did. That happened. They finally punched the asteroid while I was in Scotland, which means I didn't get to live stream it. But never mind. What we, th- we weren't entirely sure initially was whether it had succeeded in moving the asteroid's orbit, which was the, the point of the test. Could they, could they actually do that? We knew immediately that the, the spacecraft they'd flown into the asteroid hit it perfectly. We knew that straight away. We now know, I can report, that the asteroid's orbit has been adjusted very, very slightly. But it's a fantastic proof of concept. I've talked about planetary defence on this show before. Basically, what NASA have demonstrated is that if we see them coming, which is what the whole um, near-Earth object observation stuff is about, if we see them coming, even if an asteroid is on a direct collision course with Earth, if we see it coming, we can move it. We can simply push it out of the way, which is reassuring because it was, after all, an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. These things do hit Earth, and sometimes they're big enough not just to do real damage, but to wipe out entire species. So, well done, NASA. I am very impressed. Um, We've also got a launch date in the next couple of weeks, and again, because I'm recording this fast, uh, I don't have the actual date right in front of me, but you can Google it. Uh, We've got another provisional launch date for the launch of Artemis 1 in the next couple of weeks, uh, which means I I might save the Artemis 1 project, the Artemis project thing until that week. I don't know. We'll see. But that's coming up also. So you might want to go over to the NASA website, nasa.gov, just to check out what's happening with Dart and with Artemis and all of that. More on all of that next week. Uh, But for now, we are running out of time. Uh, I have to be somewhere else in eight minutes from the point I'm talking here. Uh, But that is only one minute and 15 seconds of the show left. So all that remains for me to do is to thank you for listening to what has basically been an inane, panicked stream of consciousness about geeky stuff. Thank goodness. I'm actually felt relieved on this occasion, that I did have two episodes of She-Hulk to go over. Uh, They did make that a little bit easier. Um, Thank you for your kind attention. I really do appreciate it. Sorry about the repeats over the last couple of weeks. I hate doing that, which is why I've subjected you to my stream of consciousness ranting now. I should point out that Geeking with Destination Venus is a Venus Rising media production and is engineered here in what is a beautifully sunny Harrogate today. Really enjoying it. Uh, by me. So, um, yeah, all of that is my fault. If the audio is terrible, that's on me. And this week, I appreciate it probably is. So, sorry. That My neighbour is about to start a wood chipper, so I'm going to finish off quickly. We'll see you next week. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else in the meantime. Stay safe. And above all else, 
stay geeky. See you soon.